Hello and welcome back to Absurdity. I am joined, as always, by my stunning co-host, Henry Johnson. Uh, hi, Ryan. I'm going to... Uh, this is now going to be a running gag where I find some new adjective... Uh, to describe to, me? To describe you when I when I intro the show. That is now, like, my new goal every every episode. Um which is great because we start off on an encouraging note, right? If I find a new a new positive, you know, compliment to give you, then you know, I think I think people will respond well to that, you know, potentially. I mean, how could you not respond well to this? No. Uh, that's I see. That's what I'm saying. You're um, you're a handsome you're a handsome guy, I, I you're, actually, and your voice is handsome, and aw, your voice is handsome. Thank you. Most are just listening to the voice, and, and to be fair, there are people that can react negatively to this. I have several ministry stories of things I've done, and there are people that just don't like me. And in some ways, I guess I don't blame them. I don't know. It depends on the circumstance and just how far I shove my foot up my, you know, mouth. Nice. Good save. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> um, I I understand that. You know, no matter no matter if you're the you could be the freshest, juiciest peach, and no matter what, there will always still be uh, someone Fuzz. who doesn't like peaches. Also fuzz, correct. <laughs> because what you have compared to what I have is fuzz. Um, so that's that is big facts. It's it's called I use a razor, my friend. You could. Try I also it. use a razor. I uh, I line things up. I trim. I you know I, I I shape it. I keep I keep the mustache out of my mouth. You know you gotta you you gotta. I'm what I'm doing. See, okay, here's here's what what I'm doing is carving an experience and shaping an experience. And what you're doing is removing it entirely. So, you're, so, you're just so I'm basically doing I'm basically doing what Christian nationalists wish to do about secularism in this country. Uh, not just secularism, but every other ism that isn't Christianity. Since that it. transition was not as good as I wanted, which is what theology and government mixing always ends with. It's always worse than you think. Oh, um, no, I was going to throw out a line there. For those of you who are like, what in the world are they talking about? We're talking about facial hair, which is not the topic of today's episode. But for those of you who might be checking out YouTube, you would be able to see this. And for those of you who want options to actually watch and not just listen, you should really consider two things. Uh, Patreon, or you should think about getting Ryan to do some wonderful consulting for you on how you too could have a media empire where if you wanted, you could talk about facial hair and your people will just eat it up because they love yeah. you. I can give you, I can coach you on, <laughs> on facial hair tips. Um, no, check the link out to you, Patreon down in the description. Uh, and you can, uh, uh, sign up for a tier that gets you one-on-one -on -one coaching with me on content creation and brand strategy. Uh, once a month, you can. We're also contemplating a way to do uh, this show live uh, and have a live chat and live audience while we do so. So, um, if that's something you're actually interested in, too, uh, let us know. If there's, you know, I mean, we'll we'll fast track that if if there's if there's some demand for it, and that helps us get some, you know, get some some feedback and response on on what people would like. So, yes, absolutely. And and starting probably with with the last episode, we'll we'll start getting these. Uh, full episodes video on YouTube here shortly. Uh, unfortunately, my DSLR or my mirrorless camera broke yesterday, so I'm sad and using my iPhone as a webcam. Uh, but, you know, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yes. And as far as people telling you, it's fine, it's fine, everything's fine, while they abusingly and shamelessly ask for money and break things, let's talk about Christian nationalism. Yes, perfect, perfect, perfect. Don't forget, That's don't forget three, to pay your three tithe. attempts, three attempts yeah, no, at transitioning well to this. 
No, so we're talking Christian nationalism today. I think this is something that, I mean, whether we, uh, whether we've explicitly talked about it or not, like this is a real thing that that we've at least hinted at several times on this show throughout its entirety. Uh, Making a return from the dark ages. Exactly. Um, it's basically so. There, there's this term, American exceptionalism. And in American ex- exceptionalism, the idea is, and this is something that's kind of hammered into our brains in, you know, both private and public education, that uh, America is exceptional, that we are amazing, uh, that we are this, you know, the heroes of the world. And Listen, there are... I, I, I agree with de Tocqueville on this. He said, America must be first at everything it does. It may be on the road to hell, but it will beat everyone to it. Correct. Um, not, not, nah. Lil Nas beat us there first. Uh, don't worry. So, the but but this so Christian nationalism is kind of an exception or is, is kind of a, an, an extension of that idea of believing that you know it's rooted in this hubris that America is better, but then also rooted in a hubris that Christianity is better and should you know and and most of the decay in the world is happening because people are leaving Christianity. Um, and don't get me wrong, okay? There is something to be said that if you believe in any ism, it's probably because you believe that that ism is better than the other ones, right? Like, I I don't think that I would be a Christian. Um, I don't think I would be um, a Christianism. I just realized that really that, that one doesn't, but theism is, is the ism there. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think I'd be a Christian if I didn't think and truly believe that Christianity was a better option. Uh, now, that being said, I also don't believe that Christian nationalists is the specific expression of Christianity that's the best. Uh, but Yeah, and I that- think we need to get a teeny bit more into that definition because Christian nationalism, as we're probably going to be discussing it, is obviously, th- this discussion is going to be America-centric, if our listeners couldn't figure that out already. But the particular brand of nationalism, I think we'll get into this, that we talk about is Christian nationalism is an infusion of both isms, American exceptionalism and Christian exceptionalism. And that's merging, which is why it's called Christian nationalism. It's actually a combination of the two. So Christian exceptionalism, which was, I think, what we were just describing, where the idea that the world is falling apart because Christianity is better. This particular faith has things that just, if you operate on its principles, it's best. When that goes hand-in-hand with any nation's specific nationalism, in this case, American nationalism, which is America has exceptionalism, it has done unique things in the world, it is a force for good, it should be magnified, its role at the top of the pinnacle of nations should be prioritized or maintained at all costs. Yep. When what, what happens with Christian nationalism in the West, and particularly in the United States, is American exceptionalism and Christian exceptionalism have merged in many sectors. So what it is, is the fate of Christianity and the fate of America are entwined, right? And I think that's that's really the definition we're going to be working with with Christian nationalism, at least in the United States, is it's not just Christianity's better, but Christianity is better and America is better, and therefore America will be the avenue that Christianity uses to better the world in all self-respects. In other words, as America yeah. succeeds, so Christianity will succeed right by it. Yes. And and to be clear, Christian nationalism, while we may use the term now, Christian nationalism isn't anything new. Um, mm, I hate to break not. it to everyone, but it is not anything new. We may have like more distinct language for it, but this is something that has existed basically throughout 
a lot of America's history, if not, you know, all of well, America's history. Christian nationalism in a, in a root sense, even with America not being the intended target, has existed at least since the 400s AD. Oh, yeah. Where the idea where, where the political powers of the day in Rome, whether you view it as a, you know, all the conspiracy theorists love to go here, and I don't mean this conspiratorial, this is a known fact, Constantine, Emperor Constantine in the Roman Empire, whether... Genuinely or not, and I have no clue because I never knew the guy and I wasn't alive then and nobody knows his heart and the Bible says I can't judge that, but he claimed to have converted to Christianity. And overnight it went from a persecuted minority of the empire of something like under 0.3% of the population mm. of the empire to like 78% of the population overnight were like, yeah, we're Christian now. Because if you wanted to curry favor with the emperor and succeed in the governmental system of the day, it was like, okay, well, let's be what the emperor is. So now we're all Christian. And so overnight, yep. all of a sudden, the exceptionalism of Rome, I think Pax Romana, Rome would have viewed itself as quite exceptional and its power in the world and for good. Christians all of a sudden, or those at least claiming to be Christian, which is another distinction I'd love to keep, right, kind of hijacked that. And that was the beginning of several evolutions, as you said, of this concept. Now, you know, you could fast forward again another 800 years to the point where you're literally seeing governments appointed by the church, right? Where they say that, the you know, France or England or whatever, they're exceptional, but the church is also exceptional and Christendom has an ability to, you know, pass God's exceptionalism onto these people through monarchs and rulerships and, and whatnot. And now fast forward to today, and if you have the same concept of American exceptionalism and Christian nationalism, it's just, like you said, this is just another reboot, another new treaded tire on the same vehicle. You name the nation, you name the, the motive, it's still there. Yeah. And by the way, we're not saying that Christianity being involved in politics in any way, like Christians being involved in politics or having any sort of political power is the equivalent of Christian nationalism, because there is there is a need for people to be involved in politics. Yes. And there's a need for representation in politics. I, I don't, you know, neither of us are ever going to say in this this episode, at least I hope, I don't know, Henry, what you, what, what you think. Uh, but I I don't equate necessarily, um, I don't equate the two. That I, I do, I think that that starts to change when you start to legislate morality onto other people. Um, and you start to specific, now, mm, let me... Let me take I'm say the, the half distinction, a step back. Yes. I, I'm going to say the distinction I think you're going for is you and I are not against individual Christian involvement in the field of bettering humanity, obviously through the political sphere, because politics affects everybody. Our concern is when you start having institutional involvement or the institution directing the state specifically in some way, shape, yeah. or form. I was, okay, so directing the state, yeah, I was going to say, I think institutional institutional involvement, involvement as far as degree, advocacy is fine. Yeah, yeah, correct. Well, and what I meant by taking a step back with legislating morality, I think across the board, this might be controversial for me to say, but I, I think we all legislate morality because we all legislate from our own internal values and beliefs to some degree. We all do things that we that that we believe. And don't get me wrong, if you pass legislation that protects someone of a different faith background or skin color or whatever, sure, you may not believe what they believe or identify the way that they identify, but at the end of the day, you believe that that person has the same value. You believe something about that person and what they have, what they should have access to and what rights they should have. 
And so you're acting out of that belief. So to some degree, I do believe that we are legislating uh, morality. What I am not okay with is using using legislation to overtly control, dominate, oppress other groups or outside groups from yourself. So that is where, like, that's that's where I would draw that line. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm at full effort as long as a life is not threatened, the free expression of beliefs, whether it's the majority or the minority, all should be respected. That's the thing. If a majority of a nation, the citizens view themselves as Christian or whatever, and they begin legislating things that fit with their morality, I'm not necessarily against that. What I'm against is when the majority dictates to the minority or someone who is not of that group and tells them specifically, yeah, you have to do everything the way we do it. Yep, uh, exactly. That That's where it starts getting, who. So the, the, and the idea of, the idea of all of this, I think, stems from active government enforcement of Christianity. So the idea of the government has a vested interest, um, or we have a vest, vested interest in the government pushing forward and, and preserving this, whatever this, this propped up identity about, you know, and, and false narrative about America's history is, um, and what I love is I found this, I found this quote from Christianity Today, an article actually just, just back from February. Um, and, and here is, this was just really powerful to me. When nationalists go about constructing their nation, they have to define, by the way, this is nationalists, not just Christian nationalists. When nationalists go about constructing their nation, they have to define who is and who is not part of the nation. But there are always dissidents and minorities who do not or cannot conform to the nationalists' preferred cultural template. In the absence of moral authority, nationalists can only establish themselves by force. Scholars are almost unanimous that nationalist governments tend to become authoritarian and oppressive in practice. For example, and this is this is right along, you know, tracking with with your with your thing in history, but this is more recent. In past generations, to the extent that the United States had a quasi-established official religion of Protestantism, it did not respect true religious freedom. Worse, the United States and many individual states used Christianity as a prop to support slavery and segregation. If you think Christian nationalism is anything new, especially in this country, I don't know how else to break it to you other than to say that pretty much every terrible thing that we've, we've, we've you know, Every every terrible stain on our history that we've tried to move on from is other than like bombing in Syria. We're not doing really well at moving from that. But um, you know, the every one of those major stains comes. It, it seems to have roots in Christian nationalism, in legislated Christianity, and using Christianity to to justify the oppression of others and domination. And, and of by others. the way, the founders of this country. <laughs> See, now I'm going to step in it because I, I live in the South and I, I remember in the last 20 years, a big narrative being how the founders were all Christians and this was a Christian nation. And mm. and therefore that was a very popular thing in evangelical circles. I know because a lot of my family would send me DVDs and stuff of some of these speakers and presentations on television shows. And they're like, see, you like history. Isn't this awesome? These people or whatever. Uh, to that, I would say, I'm not going to get into debate of what people's personal beliefs were. Although I think a educated view of the founders would state most of them, yes, were religious, but they were deists. They were not specifically Christian. 
Yeah. In fact, I have been to the Jefferson Library and seen where he literally went through his Bible and edited out portions of it because he didn't believe in miracles. So he literally went through and edited his Gospels to get rid of anything he thought was a miracle. But uh, all of that aside, the main thing I'm going to read is from a guy that most everybody, if you're from the United States or been through our education system, would have heard of, and that's a guy named Benjamin Franklin. And I had a quote of my own that I was going to read on this this note that he wrote. And just listen to this, see if this rings a bell. This is what one of the founders thought about this topic. Quote, when a religion is good, I conceive that it will support itself. And when it cannot support itself and God does not take care to support so that its professors are obliged to call for the help of the civil power, it is a sign I apprehend of it being a bad one. End quote. Mm. Nice. In other words, when religion's good, he's like, I think people will probably support it and join it on its own. When they aren't good and God himself won't support them, they always turn to the government. And he goes, when they turn to the government to support them, I think that's an automatic sign that they suck. That was Benjamin Franklin. (laughs) There you go. And... And this is this is hard because at some to some level, you know, this is whether we like it or not, this is a branch of Christianity. These are people claiming Christians that are saying this is what you know, this is what we believe, this is this is what we experience as truth. And and that's really, you know, it's tragic, but we're, you know, to to it it's just one shy thing away from being a denomination, even though it's mostly evangelicals. So, but it is just one step away from just being the Christian national. Although, to be fair, yeah. evangelicals are not a monolithic denomination. And and correct. And yes, yes, I know. Um, and it's just interesting to me. But I agree with you. And I I have no technical issue with evangelicals along these lines. I'm just, it. it's sad to me that that is so consistently the the basis that comes, you know, that, that a lot of people are coming from. But... I, well, I and find, there is a specific historical and political reason for that. Well, would you like to inform us? Because I don't know where you're going. So, <laughs> well, 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 no, but I meant when we start talking about Christian nationalism, we need to talk about the seeds that really kind of rebooted it to the point of where we are today, where we have to even discuss it. And that really comes back to the moral majority in the 70s and the 80s. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. Now, that, that's what I meant by that. I was like, how did Christian nationalism quote, and you know, we're picking on evangelicals, and to any of our evangelical brothers and sisters listening, we love you, and this isn't like a, a critique specifically of like, you are a horrible individual. I'm just saying we also have to understand our histories, because any group, our own faith communities, whatever, if we don't learn, if we're not careful, we can end up, and none of these things, I, I guess this is another way to put it, the Bible also warns us, when you get off of the right, it's most of the time, it's not because people are like, I'm going to rebel or I'm going to do some horrible anti-scriptural thing. It's we have some sort of preference or some sort of personal thing we want, and either meaning well or not, we instead of following a scriptural response to that, we just try something else. And it's the little steps, and it's a little thing, but they start building. And over time, you end up miles away from where you intended to be. Right. And I yes. think that's a lot of where evangelicalism went with Christian nationalism. I don't think anybody specifically that I know of sat down and was like, aha, let's get in bed with the state and do blah, blah, blah. But that there was sincere concerns and they went about it in ways that now 30, 35, 40 years later, they've ended up somewhere they probably the founders never would have intended. 
and I don't mean the founders of the country, but the the founders of the like moral majority. Well, I was going to so say. We're I was going to say that pretty much all of that modern movement comes from, I think it stems all the way back. I think it was the 20s or 30s where businesses and corporations actually are the root of, are part of the root for mo the modern expression of Christian nationalists and, and that kind of uh, super right-wing fundamentalism. And why why would they not be when you consider the fact that, A, they were, the, they, they were a majority and if you want this market, I mean, you, you as a corporation see a ton of people that belong with this, that identify this way, of course, you're going to want that market. And on top of that, the, uh, on top of that, you've got politics that's the same way. And in the, in the sixties, early seventies, when Jim Crow laws and were, were ended when, when civil rights act was passed and we had desegregation, there was a very, very real concern among Republicans saying, well, we are, we are losing a major part of our vote, especially in the South. And this is when you actually start to see, this is when you actually start to see abortion becoming a major, starting to become a major right-wing platform is basically it became the new, the new way to grab the religious vote. Prior to the civil rights, Democrats were actually the ones that were likely uh, that were likely to be against abortion. And you had a lot more mixed. You had a lot more mixed beliefs about it and mixed positions about it between both denominations or not denominations, both political parties. Um, but abortion became a policy platform specifically as a way to continue capturing uh, and and to recapture in some cases the the uh, Christian vote, which is why it's no wonder, even when several times since then that Republicans have had the uh, the majority of Senate, House and presidency and the courts, they still haven't done anything about it. Because if well, they do, they lose yeah, they, was, they lose the single issue voters. I was just going to say, abortion aside, I do find it interesting. This is a total aside that you know, whatever party you choose, they they all have their pet issues. One might be abortion, the other might be racial issues or gun control or whatever. And I find it funny that in my entire lifetime of thirty plus years, they've all discussed these same issues, and they've discussed them for longer than I've been alive. And every time they're in power, they don't really actually do anything about those main issues. So. Correct. Because yeah. they got voted on those issues, which means uh, well, yeah, they have to I get mean, voted just, on new issues when they've already figured out the right rhetoric for this. If you've got a, a winning strategy, why would you want to change that? Well, well, listen, folks, it's politics. It comes from the two Greek words, root words, polo meaning many and ticks, bloodthirsty, money-sucking, power-hungry people. So anyway, if you expect that to solve your life, then mm. anyway, hey, stop talking about my ex-girl. I'm just kidding. I'm just oh, kidding. Wow. I'm just okay. kidding. Everyone calm oh. down. Yes. I actually, okay, but I actually have very high opinions of every single person I've dated. I just really wanted to make that joke. So just, just so we're clear. I'm going to say, don't insult me online. No, okay. So, <laughs> so anyway. Henry, not no, here. Not here, no, Henry. Not now. Yeah, but anyway. But no, let's have it out now. No, but backing up, it's not just abortion. Again, the point I was trying to go to. Correct. The, no, no, the, that was that was just in, an in example. The, in the 70s and the 80s is this idea of the moral majority. For those who've known, learned anything or had a poli-sci course, political science course, this kind of thing, you're coming out of the Vietnam era, the late 60s, early 70s. Vietnam ends about 72, 73. 
I believe officially mm-hmm. the end of 72, if I'm remembering correctly. And the this was a great period of upheaval. Of course, the joke is, is if people remember the 60s, they weren't in it. So, you know, but the world had shifted. A lot of societal issues had shifted. Like you said, the end of segregation, Jim Crow, at least legally, not necessarily the vestiges of it. There was a lot of things changing. Political coalitions were shifting. There was a lot of people that just felt like the world had changed too fast. They were being Mm -hmm. left behind or else they were worried they'd be left behind because they were confused what the future would bring. And it's in these periods of great upheaval that politically, and it's any religion, you can go to any country around the world, it doesn't have to be Christianity. I know a lot of this happened, I mean, Myanmar or Burma is back in the news for different reasons, but I mean, I remember they had all of the Buddhist-led violence against the Karen peoples and other things in the last 10 years or whatever. You can call it Buddhist nationalism for things that were going on as their country was modernizing and, and they were feeling left out. You've had a lot of Hindu nationalism in India with the BJP party and things like that now as they begun modernizing and society has shifted ahead of them. That, that There's always these different groups. It doesn't matter who, it's just in America, it happened to be Christianity that was going to be the beneficiary of this. And, and the political party sat down and said, how do we, like you said, channel certain voter blocks? How do we realign coalitions? And there was a group of evangelical leaders at the time that happened to be around Nixon and then later Reagan, uh, the presidents at those various times. And Mm -hmm. they were looking at it and they said, okay, is there a way we can address people feeling uneasy about the changing of society and harness that? And it was at first a religious message that came forward. They said, yes, well, religious people were worried about this. There was things like abortion because the Supreme Court had made a ruling, you know, in the early 70s on that. Things like this, There, there were big, societal changes that were concerning a lot of people. And so the first couple election cycles, they tested overtly religious language. And when a complete realignment happens, particularly in the South, actually, because most people forget up through the sixties, the South was like major blue zone, right? You called it blue, you know, you called them the Dixiecrats and things. You can say, even in my own state here, South Carolina, you had strong Thurman and things that were like filibustering on the Senate mm-hmm. floor to stop desegregation thing. He was a Democrat. Okay. So it was, it was the Southern democratic party that everybody was, was with at that point. And the moment it looked like Democrats under LBJ and all that had turned on the Southern coalition by the civil rights act, 1964. And then the update again in 68, things like this, they just, you know, that, that was it. There was a complete realignment. And in one election cycle, it went from blue to red. Right, because the Nixonites and all that were promising certain things. And when they realized that overtly religious language seemed to have delivered millions of votes in a different direction, this is where either by actual hard data, I wasn't one of the analysts that were chewing the data or whatever else, they decided, okay, using Christian language for policy positions is useful. And I think from that point forward, it began. It was kind of like a mutual dance where both are like, well, I can control this thing. I'm just going to use the other side for a little bit to get, you know, this is what we always tell ourselves. Oh, just a little bit of, I can control this fire, you know. So you always hear controlled burns become uncontrolled. And I, and I think evangelicalism to a great extent, we're like, well, there are certain things that we want changed in society. And if the parties are open and particularly this time, the Republican party was open to assisting us. And, and again, we're talking about 
the majority of evangelicalism. I know it's, I know we're painting with a broad brush because religion, to be fair, and I don't want to be fair with this up front because I don't want to sound like we're picking sides either. You know, the Democratic Party also uses religion to a great extent. It, it divides against certain progressive or non-progressive denominations or racial lines or, or whatnot. But both sides are using religion. And I think that's the scary thing we're going to be talking about with Christian nationalism is the country is just ripe for this because both sides are using it to greater and greater extent. Correct. Uh, Republicanism just happened, Republicanism, the Republican Party just happened to have sped up that transition and used it to, wielded it to greater effect, I think, but both parties are using it. And what happened was both sides, I think, thought they could control the other. They're like, well, I'll get something good out of it and they'll get something good out of it. And, and, and it started a dance that became more of a sensual, intimate embrace. And now they're just in bed with one another. And it has progressed and progressed and progressed till neither one can control the other. That's kind of how I view it, especially in the last couple of years. Both sides have lost the dividing line. I think both sides have lost their individual desires, and now they're they 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 blurred. And so now they're both getting stuck with the worst excesses of the other, and they have no clear way of knowing how to extricate themselves. Although there are certain ones trying, and we might come back to that. I think of Beth Moore right now, who's yeah. going through a whole bunch. And and I will say this is someone who's not really been a fan of Beth Moore, uh, not just because of who she is, but just some theological points and whatever. But even I have sat on the sidelines from what it looks like and goes, oh, I mad respect for her trying to detangle all of this stuff that she's realizing. But it's, it's that kind of journey everybody's being forced to have to figure out if they want to make right now. Because so much of it is infused, and it's become a monster mm-hmm. that nobody can control anymore, and with horrible, devastating effects. But anyway, that was my no, no, no. You're right. I history. I agree. It this this is. I think my personal opinion here is the reality is that this, to some extent, only gets worse. Um, as we said, in the absence of moral authority, there's only one other way to do it, which is by force, and that's what we've seen. That's what we started to see. Uh, more, you know, in bigger groups. But this is a very real thing. I mean, half of the people at the Capitol riots were holding up Jesus saves and Jesus is here and, you know, Jesus brings peace and Jesus 2020. Yeah, there was a quote, Christian flag, which again, to any of our foreign listeners, I know they always laugh and like, what are you talking about? And that was another thing that came about in the 50s. It's this white flag with a blue canton trying to like mirror some of the early revolutionary flags, actually, for those of you who study the 1700s, you know, 18th century kind of thing. And it has a cross in it in red for the blood of Jesus in fringe. And there's actually pledges. I remember doing it at vacation Bible schools. You'd say a pledge to the Christian flag and whatever. And a lot of our churches have them in there. Don't get me started on that. Or maybe get me started on that, but later. <laughs> and and yeah, and there was, quote, the Christian flag, which a lot of them talk about churches here fly them on the flagpoles right next to the American one. And that was, they there was got people flying up the steps of the Capitol with those. And I know there was one image I've seen where they were in the house chamber with one. Somebody was mm-hmm. waving one in there. So, yeah. yeah. And and I think, here's, here's why I think this gets worse. Um, so... The the Guardian released an article on April five, uh, talking about the uh, right wing. Uh, you know, America's uh, right wing religion is is on the decline. And uh, David Campbell, a professor and chair at University of Notre Dame's political science department, 
uh, and and has co-authored a book about uh, American politics, uh, said a reason for the decline among these groups is an allergic reaction to the religious right. Many Americans, especially young people, see religion as bound up with political conservatism and the Republican Party specifically. I don't really care about which party, but the bottom line, political conservatism. Since that is not their party or their politics, they do not want to identify as being religious. Young people are especially allergic to the perception that many, but by no means all, American religions are hostile to LGBTQ rights. So the the issue that you're going to see is we're going to see a lot more uh, Lil Nas uh, examples and moments where people are going and to by Lil Nas, he's talking about the six 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 shoes with human blood. Yeah, that 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 dude, um, Old Town Road, him. He basically has is a genius in marketing. By the way, at this point, I by don't the know way, if he was it was also his a idea, genius. But I'm just throwing this out too as a side note. He was also a genius in trolling yes. the religious right. They fell As, right for mm-hmm. it, hook, line, and sinker. I mean, he could mount them on his wall. And I and I as weird as this is going to sound as a minister, I applaud you, sir. Yeah, no, he he okay. <laughs> did a fantastic job of what he set out to do. That's what I'm saying. He's a genius marketer because he drew up buzz for what he's doing, and and he had an actual reason for it. Regardless of what you you know agree or and disagree the church about, totally the missed it. <laughs> the church completely no. The church didn't even just miss it. They re-embraced the very reason that he like they they the, they doubled down on the very thing. Correct. That he they proved was upset him right. About. And so he goes, you know, the the entire but idea behind Lil Nas and what what he did was, all his life he was told he was going to hell for being gay, and you know being exposed to to the ex- extreme examples of religious right being being you know telling you. Um, that you aren't valued, that God doesn't love you, that you're an abomination, whole nine yards. And so his whole campaign uh, with a released music video, with a, um, where he where he pole dances all the way down to hell, um, he kills Satan and takes his place. Um, and he, yes, released this limited run of so-called Satan shoes, which is, it's, which is a line of Nike Air Maxes, but Nike them, themselves. But Nike never a, a agreed, so they, yeah. they sued him. But of course, yeah. it's convenient. They sued him after he sold all of them. I think yeah. like one guy didn't get his shoes. Yeah. And, but, but anyway, he does this and his whole idea was, if you're telling me that I'm going to hell, then you shouldn't be surprised when I go there. Right. Like, yeah. that, that's the entire idea is like, well, then why are you mad that we embrace this if this is what you told us was going to happen anyway? And, and, and again, this is just me and the irony. All of his imagery isn't really biblical anyway, so I don't care. Exactly. I mean, he's, pre- he's presenting something that I don't personally believe in, but never mind. He's, anyway. he's, he's playing <laughs> on like, okay. what we talked Kill about a few episodes caricature. ago, the satanic panic. That's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. And, but that, how, how's that for an allergic reaction to the religious right? Right. So this is going to keep happening. Well, and here's which the thing. Is, it wasn't just the religious right. This goes, this is a good way to swing us back into our topic. The first people that commented on it and then got the church route up was like the governor of South Dakota. Yes. Like yep. a governor, like, like pol- politicians first mentioned it. And then the church just went ah! and, and yeah. went after it. And I'm like, who's pulling the tail on this donkey? Well, and that no, that was bad mixed metaphor. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, well done. Um, the but but no, the, but the entire point is this is going to keep happening, and you're going to keep seeing that that strong allergic reaction uh, from people leaving religion, and then religion basically playing into that again and again uh, for political points. That's what you're going to see yeah. is leaders for political points doing this with the well, religious they've lost right. control, and they're it's it's like joint 
it's a game of horrible analogy, but it's a game of Russian roulette. And for those of you who are like, what in the world is that talking about? It was a horrible, supposedly kind of a really depressive suicidal game that came up where people took revolvers. Please don't do this at home. Please don't do yeah, this yeah, ever, do not, anywhere. Don't, yeah, don't do this ever. And the idea was, and I don't have to explain this, if you don't know what a revolver is or how they function, that's beyond the scope of this episode. But they used to put, you know, bullets in these things and you'd take a, you'd like spin the cylinder and then you'd put it up to your head and pull the trigger, but there wouldn't be a bullet in every chamber. So it was a mm-hmm. hit and miss, is no pun intended, as to whether it would go off and kill you or not. It was yeah. supposed to be the ultimate, like, it was, it was dumb. Do not yeah. do it. Imagine, the, imagine a... Guns are not toys. Yep. I'm just going to say that now. Guns are not toys. They are a tool. But if you stand in front of a car, it will kill you when it's going 75 yeah. miles an hour. So don't do it. There is a, there is like a candy version of, of this where like it's, it's wrapped candy. It's wrapped chocolate bullet shaped candy. But one of them uh, is a pepper inside. One of them has a, like a, a chili pepper inside while the other ones are all just straight chocolate. So there's six bullets and you and friends will all grab one. And, um, and then like, this is a packaged thing that you can buy, um, mm. which means it's only good one time you're spending money to, to laugh at one person. But yeah, so one person gets <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the chocolate bullet with chili inside. So, but that's the idea behind Russian roulette. And, 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 yeah, it's this is going to keep being this cycle back and forth where everyone feeds on each other and you're going to see more extreme And they're destroying reactions. each other and they keep doubling down thinking that their only hope to survive is to just keep doing what they're doing, but it's actually killing them. It's like the fly at the windowsill who thinks that's the way out and they just keep buzzing harder and whacking different parts of the window. And if they don't turn around and fly out the door that's open 20 feet mm-hmm. behind, they die on the windowsill. I mean, l- listen to this from, from the same article. Surveys of those who identify with Christian nationalist beliefs consistently show that this group feels that they are subject or that they are subject to more discrimination and marginalization than any other group in society, including Islamic people, black people, atheists, and Jewish people. And it's crazy. And I can say this as as a Christian myself. Like I can still, I mean, it's all culture wars too, but I I can still remember where in my own family, I'm not going to mention who. I had people in my extended family who were not shopping places because like places like Target wouldn't say Merry Christmas. And they said it was persecution of Christianity. And I'm like, I'm I'm sorry. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you even know what persecution is? Like, I, I'm I'm sorry, but if I walk into a store and somebody doesn't talk to me and say Merry Christmas, I my life is not really over. There's other places where they're flaying Christians alive or like throwing mm-hmm. them in jail and you think that because a corporate entity just decided they wanted to not say Merry Christmas as dumb as that is, is persecuting you? They didn't say you couldn't tell them Merry Christmas back. I mean, you know, anyway. No, that you're right. And, and that's what's, that's what we've seen over the last year with anti-maskers and now, and, and with anti-vaxxers, but we're going to see it even more pronounced now with, with the COVID vaccine. And the single, I, I would almost argue that the single greatest threat to getting us all vaccinated and getting this, you know, done uh, is Christian nationalism. And we've we've watched this play out over and over and over again. Every, every single, it's almost, it's almost sad, but I can't think of a single uh, instance of, you know, a viral Karen. If you don't know what a Karen is, go ahead and just Google what, a, what, what is a Karen. Uh, it's a woke I, term. 
uh, th- there is, I haven't seen a single instance in the last year that I couldn't also almost, almost a hundred percent guarantee you that that person has a, a very, uh, you know, very much a, a conservative point of view, like some sort of, uh, some sort of religious conservatism that, that is within them. Um, and this, this, this constant narrative that pastors and ministry leaders have, have preached for years on, you know, the world that must hate you and don't be surprised when the world hates you. And, and in our specific denomination, we have remnant theology, the idea that, you know, there will be a small, small core group of true believers at the end. These are, these are things that may to some degree be biblical, but, but they they've been weaponized, amplified or weaponized, correct, yeah. weaponized, amplified, amplified, you name it, and turned into this with a persecution complex. And I'm sorry, I have yet to see an instance of actual, like, you know, Christian persecution. Uh, I've seen Christians persecuting. In Correct. But I've not seen it in America. I have yet to see real Christian persecution uh, outside of, like, outside of people saying... I'm being persecuted. This is persecution. How dare you make me wear a mask? And I like, and the, and the vaccine thing is, is, is killing me. Like you can't go anywhere unless you have the proper vaccine, you know, unless you have the COVID vaccine, bruh, we've had that for years. You can't go to Africa. You can't go to a lot of countries, a lot of countries without having proper vaccines before you go. This is Does anyone remember the yellow new. CDC cards? Ooh, don't, don't. I, I'm just saying I've, I have one of those. Does anyone remember that? I used to go on mission trips and stuff. You had to go and they fill yep. out the nine or 10 different things you needed for that particular country to go. These, these have been a thing. This is nothing new. Talking about microchips in the vaccine while you carry around a cell phone that knows your location. That is, and you use and Face you ID tell to Alexa unlock- to. I'm going to say, and while you tell Alexa to order your, you know, latest book on the vaccine with microchips in it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And to your address that you've said out loud over a microphone with Prime. Like, yeah. like this is, and and it's tragic to me because the 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 cognitive dissonance is so so powerful. And don't be wrong, I know that there's areas of cognitive dissonance in my life. Obviously, I don't know what they are, but I can just assume that they're there. Um, the <laughs> I, I I think it's I think it's good to just assume and be open to the idea that you, that you might have some dissonance going on, that you might be a hypocrite. In says some the way, guy that had a web. Says the guy with a website. Oh yes, my old website was built specifically. Yep. To say that you were right. Correct. I used to have a website called isryanbeckerwright.com. And when you loaded it, it was a uh the final it was a picture of the final, like someone knocking a king over in chess, and it just said yes. And I would online arg- I would end online arguments all the time. It was a peacemaking tool because it just it threw everyone off. Um and then everyone would laugh at the the absurdity of me having that website. Um, but it was great. I, I ended so many online arguments with that. Just like, I just, at some point, if I got bored with it or just frustrated with the other person because they weren't listening, I would just reply back with that link over and over and over again, uh, just every time. And it was, it was wonderful. People got so upset with me in the best way. I don't think anyone ever legitimately got upset with me for it. I, I think I actually light, lightened up some conversations. So thank you for reminding me of that. One day I may bring it back. Who knows? Um, budgets are real. So, 
Okay, can we transition into then what do we do about this? I mean, we've we've kind of painted a pretty hopeless picture here. I mean, I just outright admitted like 15 minutes ago that I think this only gets worse from here. So, and then we talked about Lil Nas. So, it's kind of bad that I think it gets worse from here too. So, yeah, so what do we do? I mean, I think there that sounds defeatist, but I don't think that just because it gets worse we don't do anything. Um, Correct. And so just because global warming seems to be inevitable doesn't mean I don't slow down the rate of it crying like an egg. And it, it, this isn't a moment of that hard thing. Like with Christians that are like, well, God's going to remake the earth. So I won't recycle. And you're Mm -hmm. like, really? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's, but that's a thing, which by the way, that's a part of it. You know, it, all of this plays into it. And I think if I had to start somewhere, I would just say, I do think that the people around us are worth protecting. And if if we've got a mindset like this, which perpetuates things like racism, um, like oppression, like, um, you know, false uh, medical myths and narratives, um, I think we have a duty to, to serve and, you know, try our best to also protect uh, the people close to us. And that does mean having tough conversations with the people around us. That does mean... Um, confronting it when we see it. But I also think it means making sure that we know our stuff. I think now more than ever, and this I get that this is risky to say because the the by exposure, you know, you you may also, you know, it's easy for people to fall fall into this trap. But I think now more than ever, it's really important that we don't put ourselves in echo chambers. Um, I have sites bookmarked that um that I know the second I open those websites, you'd be upset. I'm going to be angry. The second I, you know, start reading an article, I'm going to be angry. I just read one the other day about how people who are, um, who are in favor of legislating masks, like forcing you to wear a mask, but also are pro, um, you know, they're, they're pro choice. Um, they're hypocrites and their logic is inconsistent. Um, and I was just like, okay, so you're saying that you do want bodily autonomy, but you're also, you know, you're also, you know, uh, what's the, what's the pro-choice? What's the other one? Pro-life. Thank you. Um, you know, you're also pro-life, which is you're against bodily autonomy for like, like you don't even think about how your logic comes back at you in any way, shape or form. Um, and it just articles that enrage me time and time again, but I have to dive into them. And it's not because I think there's, there's like inherent value or I think there's necessarily anything I'm going to agree with. I do look for things that I can agree with and affirm, but I also want to understand this. I want to know what brings someone to that point. I want to know how to engage in conversation and what framework they're working from. And even if you came out of the framework, it's still not safe to to just assume that you now know it because the framework changes. While yes, the foundation, the base foundation may still be the same, the the framework in which that, that's built on that foundation alters and changes over time. So saying I came out of this, so now I know exactly what it's like and I can continue to speak authoritatively on it without ever sort of reinvestigating or seeking to understand it in modern times is exactly how you get professors in universities that have no idea what they're talking about and that teach you outdated methods for economics, for uh, for business, for religion, for you know leadership. That's how you get that marketing, advertising. Um, that's how you get. That's how you end up there. And so I do think that there is a need to 
to very intentionally go into spaces that um can can um that can broaden and widen our understanding that being said i think there's also a limit and if you have been personally traumatized by groups like this then you know your mission may not be to do that caution is wise um and only do what you can handle if i'm getting really angry i'm going to walk away from the site for a while and take a break i but i think it's i think it's a part of being intellectually honest and i think it's a part of being um and also giving giving someone you know um the time of day and respecting them because the bottom line is you're not going to change anyone's mind who knows that you don't respect them at all unless it's someone who really desires your respect in which case it's probably someone that you directly mentor but outside of that I, I mean, you're just not, if they don't feel like you respect or value them beyond this moment, then why in the world would you ever be able to convince them of anything outside of what they currently believe, where they are respected and where people do value them? Yeah. So, Henry, your turn. What do we do? What do I do? What do you do? Well, again, many of these topics keep building on themselves the last several weeks. I mean, it's about using your personal influence it's about being assured in what you understand, like you said, educating yourself, being aware. It's also being introspective and realizing where am I, and not just in maybe Christian nationalism, no matter what your faith is or what your politics is or whatever. How I like to say the genuine quality of your faith or your belief system or whatever is going to be demonstrated in how you treat those that you disagree with. Mm. And we are fastly approaching, and I think this is part of the fuel that makes all of this going to get worse and that fatalistic sound that we we both said, but we're reaching a point where now, even in my lifetime, it's not just, I disagree with you, and I think you're wrong. It progressed to, I disagree with you, you're not only wrong, you know, as far as I'm concerned, but you are wrong intrinsically. Like Correct. something is like, like beyond shadow of a doubt, you are not just wrong in belief. You, you are the wrong. And then it has progressed further to, you're not just the wrong, you are a threat to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm quickly seeing society start to morph towards, you're not just a threat to me. You're a threat that must be exterminated for my sake and the greater good. And when we flip into that, you must be exterminated for the good of the other group. That's Nothing good has ever come in societies that reach that point over anything. Uh, I, it just yeah. it just never has. Which, by the way, I. <laughs> why is it always people who have a coexist sticker on their car that do this? Why is it always that person? Yeah, it's it's like, look, I'm doing the I'm making the visually clear sign of whatever you know. People I feel that like, are yeah. worried about appearances, but deep down are trying to mask something. I feel like coexist is just like these are all the groups I target. Uh, that's that's all the that's all that that bumper <laughs> sticker is to a lot of people. If you have that sticker Ouch. and you're not this way, by the way, I appreciate you and I value you. You're not who I'm talking about. Thank but what you. Brian's saying is you should put an absurdity bumper but you sticker. You should, over you it. should, if, if we ever get those, you should, you should probably <laughs> add them to the merch store. Yeah, we, you should probably uh, alter that course. Uh, maybe, maybe get a different bumper sticker, or just get a new car. If it's a le legit sticker, just get a new car. Just burn the whole thing. Get a new car. Um, there, that was easy. I've never been a fan of bumper stickers, but anyway, it is easier for a rich man to enter or a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a man with a coexist sticker, bumper sticker, to enter the kingdom of heaven.
Thank you for being on Absurdity. As you can tell, our theology is whack, so now we are primed for Christian nationalism. And next yes. thing you know, we'll be running for Congress and ruining the world. Correct. No, so, really, I, I agree with you 100%. I do think that we are we are spiraling towards that. And I think we have a duty, uh, especially those... This is this is actually kind of where where remnant theology finds its... That I meant that I that I referenced earlier, where it kind of finds finds its home is the idea that like yeah things are gonna get worse before they before they get better and better being you know Jesus coming back that things will get worse that people will become more power hungry that there will be more tension more international wars more you know lack of resources we're you know global warming we're seeing a lot of these things happen and the the idea behind the remnant and remnant theology is that you wouldn't be disheartened by that, but rather you would understand it as a part of human history and that you would within your, within your space and sphere of influence, do everything you can to live according to, to, um, to the way that God calls you to live, which is to love your neighbor, which reread the good Samaritan and understand who the neighbor is because it's not the guy on the side. It's not the guy who was beaten on the side of the road. That's not uh, who the neighbor was in this instance. Um, they, they're, yeah, I, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I'll throw an asterisk into that. At least as I understand the book of revelation and it, it's not just in revelation, revelation quotes a lot of the first Testament, which is where we get these illusions and imageries from, but this idea of remnant, cause it first comes out of the first Testament with Israel, mm-hmm. the idea that God's people get scattered and they get yes. taken everywhere and defeated and crushed. And it looks hopeless. And that the nation is, squashed and that God is bringing little groups of the original back out of all these places and 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 putting them back together again and kind of rebooting the system and and so there's this this great repeat of the narrative if you will at the end of the new testament with the idea of a remnant which is just a fancy term for something like the original it comes from like fabric a remnant of the fabric something that looks like the original is coming back out being put back in one spot it's maintained itself and is going to be utilized for something. And I, I agree. I think in Revelation, we see a remnant that, yes, they understand that things are going to hell in a handbasket. Or and on a stripper in pole. In that sense, well, okay. I mean, in, in his defense, wow, in his defense, this is so hard. In his defense, as I said, I applauded him earlier, and I actually feel sorry for him. And this actually is a good transition to make the point I was just trying to make. Good, you're I, I welcome. think while we while we recognize that the world is falling apart, they the remnant does care about what it's doing to people. I don't think we we're not saddened in one sense that governments are failing or that the planetary system is failing or that I mean, because we know that the second law of thermodynamics, entropy. Wow, I'm using science, something that Christian nationalists don't like to use. Uh, oh but, no, they only you know, they only use it when they have to go to the ER and that's it. Okay. Well, anyway, since we're being really and and by the way, as a side note, again, if you are more of the evangelical persuasion and you're listening, please understand. I I hope it, we get a little crazy in the in this podcast, but I don't want to insult you as an individual and I don't want to doubt your sincerity at all and I can understand having a lot of family in that realm of Christianity in particular and and having to interact with it on a lot. I, I I appreciate the sincerity of a lot of people in it and their desire for society to, in their mind, more closely mirror what they think is a better way of living. And and for that, I, I don't want to fault anybody. I, I think we're just having to laugh because the alternative is we would cry that all of us are susceptible to just 
only using a part of our brain and not really thinking through the long-term effects of something or how it meshes with something else. Correct. And that gets all of us in trouble. And in this particular topic, it's just evangelicalism as a whole, we feel has gone off the deep end with this. And I say that as a Christian myself. So, and from a particular denomination that would be considered more on the conservative spectrum. Correct. Correct. As well. Yeah, yeah and, you, and to be fair, even in the last 10 years, I've watched grow closer to evangelicalism versus closer yes. to biblical fidelity. But <laughs> that's a different No, but I agree with you. If, if, if you're wanting to, if you're wanting an episode to change the mind of someone close to you, this is not the episode. We will probably do that episode at some point, but this isn't the episode to change someone's mind. This is the episode where hopefully you can breathe a sigh of relief going, oh, I'm not the only one who sees the crazy that's happening here. Um, right. That's we're, that's the idea. And we are venting yeah, I mean, and, our, and journeying our point ourselves. Is to recognize, yeah, the point is to recognize that Christian nationalism, and, and we could keep going, I, I mean, we're just really scratching the surface on this, that the idea that Christianity is great, Christendom is horrible and an evil in the world. And if you don't know what the difference between those two terms is, Christianity is a faith community. Christendom is Christianity in governing fashion Mm -hmm. or controlling the levers of the state. Uh, It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that even by conservative religious estimates in what's commonly called the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages, the church murdered 50 million of its own followers for disagreements over theology, Mm -hmm. yet alone crusades and genocidal fratricide and whatever. I mean, you know, 50 million of our own. So Christendom, and that was Christendom that did that. Christendom is a is one of the world's greatest evils. Now I know people go, now wait a minute, religion, you know, the 20th century wasn't a religious century, and yet you had Pol Pot and the Nazis and other things, and there was a lot of people that died too. And I go, well, yeah, the Kilmer Rouge and all that. Listen, I okay, yes, but I'm talking about in this sense, atheists have a point. Religion has done a lot of evil in the world. And it's and I and I would I, I would change quite how they say that. I don't think it's religion per se, it's religiosity that's done it. Now, I, again, it's not Christianity, it's Christendom that's done it, and that sounds like semantics, but I'm just saying we need to really be aware about our prejudices, where we're going, to really study what do we believe, are they founded on, does what we teach, does what we believe anymore, is it really rooted in Scripture, or mm-hmm. is it rooted in political narratives? And there's nothing wrong with a political narrative per se if it's rooted in something external from itself that's valid. But but these are the questions I don't think a lot of us are asking. And yeah. especially when it comes to Christian nationalism, the whole reason I think it's dangerous is not just Christianity is good for the nation. There's been a lot of blurring of the lines where a nation's priorities are now good for the faith. Yep. And and we can't separate the two. And to be fair, and that's a whole other topic for another time, uh, one of the biggest things I think that's driven it is misunderstandings of end-time events, eschatology, bad theology, where America now has to be a force to help certain other nations in the world or certain other faith communities or, or do what I'm talking about, the Middle East, Israel, things like this, that, again, we've blurred priorities. The good of the nation is the good of the faith. And we have to remember that there is, the head of our faith was Jesus Christ, is Jesus, well, I said was in the past tense, that's sad, but it's probably true also. Uh, It should be Jesus Christ. And he said, "My, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, it's for this world, but it isn't of this world. And the problem is, is that a lot of us are trying to make the kingdom of God on earth 
and particularly in the case that we're talking about, people are trying to make America God's kingdom on earth. And they forget that God is interested in every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And I am, I was born and raised American. I, I love, in theory, what this country stands for. It sounds horrible. I mean, I'm, I, this is going to sound bad. I, I love this country. There's a lot of things I like about it. Uh, the military, all the freedoms. There's a lot of things I'm thankful that I've been here for, but I'm also not ignorant that I can only love this country in as much as it doesn't conflict with a higher nation that my citizenship is in. This this is Galatians 4 all over. This is Paul talking about I, there is a there's a citizenship up above in a new Jerusalem. Uh, this is Hebrews as well. Uh, I mean, Hebrews 10 talking in this as well, 9 and 10. This is my ultimate authority, my my ultimate loyalty is to a kingdom that hasn't fully taken over down here yet. And I will be loyal to the United States. I'll be loyal to other countries only where they don't conflict with that. And the problem is we've got reached a point where we've conflated which one gets to take priority, where you will have America, in this case, wants to do something politically or not. And then you'll have the Bible says to do something politically or not. And we will default to America's interests and say that's God's. Yeah. Or we will default to our political party's interests and say that's God's. And that is a really dangerous, slippery slope. And I do believe it's going to get worse, but just because it's getting worse, and that's what we were trying to say, doesn't mean we just throw our hands up or, as my grandfather used to say, don't stick your head in the sand because sticking your head in the sand leaves other parts of you very exposed for a kick. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I was going to say, I think I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And honestly, what you just said is basically the entire reason why absurdity is named absurdity. Because I believe that when we start from the place that everything is absurd, uh, that's a more intellectually honest place to start any conversation from. Because what it does is it prevents you from believing that your way is the right way in every conversation, that your truth is the truth in every conversation. Um, it started because what I what I hoped was that when we talk about things like this, there's someone that listens to this and says, wow, you know, I have been feeling like that's absurd. Or man, it is absurd that we're still dealing with this kind of thing in 2021. It's absurd that this is still a problem. Um, but also understanding that, hey, what I believe to someone else is absurd. And when you said, you know, to some degree, atheists, we're right in saying that religion or religiosity has has caused a lot of have, have ta has taken millions of lives has caused um, quite a number of tragic things throughout history and 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 terrible things throughout history. Um, my first, I, I'm with you in saying like, yeah, absolutely. And there's this there's this wall that gets broken down when you start with the with agreeing with the criticism. There's this, there's just, it's an entirely different conversation when you start from a place of agreeing that yes, what you are seeing is like, and your reaction to it is valid. Like is, I see that, I acknowledge it, and I understand it. I may not be exactly where you are um, or have any intent to go to the place that you are, but I see it. And that's what I see with, and I want to bring this full circle because I do believe it's important that, that, I, that I kind of wrap up all the references to him. But that's what I see with Lil Nas X is being able to say, hey, I see why you're I see why you're doing this. I acknowledge it. I'm glad that you found some way to, you know, embrace yourself, whatever that is right now. And I don't mean orientation wise. I just mean I, I think all of us who we you know, what, how we see ourselves evolves over time. 
and all I can say is to people that are in a situation like his, um, I, I saw this comment, someone made a joke about it on, on TikTok and there was a comment on the, on the video that I was watching and, um, and someone says the, like, no one knows the number of black lives that he just saved by, by doing that. Um, and, and when I mean saved, obviously I'm not talking about the, the Christianity version of saved. What I mean is like literally saved because there was someone that these, that, that these young people especially can look up to, uh, that, that do look up to that says, Hey, uh, this thing that you're dealing with, this thing that you're, that, that you are battling through and the, the, the controversy that's being stirred up by your identity. Um, I've been there too. And I'm with you. That's what that says. You are not alone. That's what Lil Nas's thing says to every person within those those places. And I, my heart hurts for them. My heart breaks for them. I, seeing, seeing that that this is the outcome of of the hatred and the violence um, is that people don't feel safe going to Jesus. Instead, they feel safe running away from him or running away not from him, but right. whatever the idea of him is that they yeah. have. And well, and yeah. that's why I know Lil Nas X probably will never hear this or see it, or maybe you should cut it on YouTube and everybody should share it. Maybe he will. I don't know, but that's, that's not the point. I would say it even for my own integrity. I, I feel sorry for him for two reasons. One, because he's being re-violated again by what masquerades as Christianity today in their, in their reaction ultimate to trolling yep. reaction. Yep. And, and I know that part of his, in, well, I assume his intent was to troll them and it's worked quite successfully, but just because it worked doesn't mean it's still any fun because I can't imagine the DMs and, and phone calls and hate mail and what I, I just can't imagine. So my first thing I would tell him is I'm so sorry that we did exactly what you expected us to do. Yep. And second of, second of all, I would say as a Christian minister myself, I am so terribly sorry for the BS theology you were fed at the hands of the church as a young person in your past that pushed you to a point that this was the only, that that you had to do something desperate like this to express the pain you're feeling that was you were subjugated to. Yep. And in other words, I want to validate the pain that Little Nas X has experienced at the hands of the church. We hurt you with an extremely abusive and unbiblical theology in the name of God, and it doesn't shock me that you're hurt and desperate, and now probably even at a point where you don't believe that God even exists or that hell. And and I know it's a trolling thing, and I know whatever, but the fact that hell as it was taught you seems more preferable than the hell Christianity has put you in literally in experience. And th there's no excuse for that. I'm, I'm so terribly sorry that we hurt you, and we were wrong, and I'm sorry we won't admit it, and I'm sorry that when you—I I view what he did, honestly, and it's just me assuming I don't know him. I'd love to talk to him about it. I doubt I'll ever get the chance, but I— he, you know, in his desperation, he had to express his pain. He had to do something about it. And instead of picking up on that cry for, I've been hurt by you, we just jumped on, well, we're hurt by you being hurt. Yeah. And we're just hitting him again. And it, that's what breaks my heart. I've watched the whole thing and just gone, man, we just missed an opportunity to help this man, whether he became Christian again or not or whatever to find healing. And instead we're just like, quick, hit him harder. And, and that just breaks my heart. I'm sorry, little Nas X. If you ever heard this, I'm sorry. 
and I would love to talk to you personally. It doesn't have to be recorded or anything, and just personally from my little corner of the world say I'm sorry. Yep, I I'm I'm with you, and and you know, I don't think. I, I do think it's wise to see him as a as a victim of of that of the institutionalism, um, but what I see now is is him basically reclaiming some sense of agency over his narrative over his life, and I think that's important to do. Um, I obviously you know it, it what he did and, and what he created made me uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, that's what it was designed to do. And that's yeah. exactly why I don't react in in any sort of I, I'm not offended by what he did in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think any other Christian should be. Um, unless well, unless you're the Christian who, who would who taught him, you know, who put him on well, this path, then you should be offended. And, he, and even <laughs> if I wasn't, the point is, this is another point where we should have understanding because it's true, hurt people hurt people. Yep. So another reason I always have to think is, what is the motive behind the pain? So like you said, yeah, I don't like the shoes. Honestly, I think they're ugly. I mean, just from a stylistic point, I was just like, eh, okay, whatever. Yeah. It was weird. But, but you know, I have to think of it this way. Even if it did hurt me, this guy's hurting, and hurt people just hurt people. You know, I have to, I have to ask whether his pain is malicious or not. I mean, you know, it, again, we have to think. Don't just get caught up in narratives. Christian nationalism is just a superseded, nebulous idea that we can use to achieve whatever our end is, and it can change on a moment's notice and it is predicated on the idea that the masses will just follow yep. without thinking yep absolutely so with that uh i know this turned into a little nas episode at the end but i i, I think it kind of exemplifies a lot of what we've talked hey, about hey we, we could title it a little nausea uh, on Christian nice. well done we you had to slide one in there at the very end um well done uh but yeah i that might be the new title. Who knows? I think that I think this is something important. I do hope that that despite all of our jokes and just out of our own pain and frustration in dealing with this topic, like you've you've we've we've let you into our journey and we've let you into how we normally would talk about a conversation, you know, a topic like this amongst ourselves just because of the way that we have experienced it, especially up front as we both pastored um, and Henry currently pastors. And so we just want to encourage you. We hope on your journey, wherever you are on it, that um that you will continue to to you know grow closer to Jesus, the true Jesus of the Bible. Uh, we we hope that you will continue to foster love for your neighbor, uh, that you will pray uh, for those who quote persecute you, um, and that you will continue to do what what Jesus has called us to do, and I, and you know, what Jesus has called you to do. And as as you're on that journey, know that we're here with you. You're on our journey um, as we figure this stuff out too, and we appreciate you being on it with us. So. Yeah. Uh, with that, Henry, any anything you want to close out with, or am I just doing the send off? Just do a send off, okay. man. I've said my bit. Well, with that, thank you everyone for listening, for watching. We appreciate you, and we will see you next time. <laughs>